This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome everybody, welcome all our Torah Anytime viewers. We are learning tonight, Le'ilui Nishmat, Miriam Bat Bracha. We are uh, continuing with our uh, the, the story on Ruth. Uh, Ruth, the, this is going to be the second class, this is also hopefully going to be the last and the final part. So we'll try to wrap up the whole story uh, uh, today. We're going to try to, besides going through the story at the end, I want to bring out some points as to why we read Ruth on Shavuot, as opposed to, you know, on a, on a different time. Okay, so just a quick recap on what we did last time uh, we were here. We spoke about um, that there was a famine in, uh, in Israel, there was a famine in Eretz Israel, and Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons, Machlon and Kilion, and Naomi's expecting baby, all left Israel and they went to Moab. Uh, because of that, God got very upset. God punished them. Uh, Elimelech died, Machlon and Kilian died, and they were left with Naomi and her two uh, daughter-in-laws, is Ruth and Opah. Opah decided, and when Naomi decided she's going to go back to Israel, Opah decided it's not from her, she went back. And we said out of that night there was a big uh, promiscuity, and that's when uh, how life um, was, was born. Then we have uh, Ruth came in back with, with Naomi, and she started the conversion uh, process. Now, while she was, uh, you know, while she was in Al-Tisrael, they needed food, they needed money, how are they going to get anything? So what they did was is that they went to the um, to the fields, and that's where they picked up the Lekach Kicha and Pea, whatever the foods that they were poor people out to pick up, that's where she picked up. Now, Boaz came, and he came to the field, the owner of the field came to the field, and he says, you know, something's different over here. Something doesn't feel right. Something is different. There's something, I says, Hashem Imachem, there's something spiritual over here. I see the divine presence. What's going on over here? And it turns out, who was there different than every other time? Was Ruth was there. Ruth stuck out. Now, why did she stick out? It wasn't because she was wearing high heels and she dressed to kill and that's why she was taking out. It wasn't because she was most beautiful, which she was very beautiful. But rather it says that she stuck out because of the fact that she was modest. Boaz saw how even when she bent down, she sort of curtsied to bend down. She didn't bend down so that anything would come up. So something was different about her and what stuck out was the fact of her modesty. So Boaz called over and he said, listen, he says he realized who she was, that she comes from Naomi, which is his relative, and uh, as well as his the deceased brothers, the deceased husband, and the deceased father, which was Machlon and Kilion, as well as Elimelech, was a close family of his. He says, from now on, he goes to Ruth, he says, you're going to come and you're going to dine with me in the midday meals in the field. I don't want you to dine with, the, with those, you're going to come with me. So... Um, this sort of was the first point in the story where Ruth suddenly sees a light of hope. Until now, it was like, bad, 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 bad. And all of a sudden now, it's like, okay, oh, hold on, look, you know, I just got invited to a wealthy, most spiritual man in Israel, Boaz, right? And we said also Boaz, you look in Tanakh, is known as Iftan. Iftan, we said, is Avletzion. Avletzion is, is the father of the flock. That's how, so if you go look in Tanakh, he's, notifi- he's noted as, as, um, as that. Okay, so this is where we up to. So, Ruth goes and she has this meal together with uh, Boaz and, and all his, um, you know, everybody that was in his household. Now, you know, she she made it she made it a, you know very important, you know, very uh, clear that when she's sitting down with the meal, she's not sitting amongst everybody else. She sat in the corner. She was like, she took modesty to like the real level. Like she put it where it's supposed to be. She's like, I'm not going to sit with everybody. It's not, you know, it's immodest. Either I'm going to sit in the corner, I'm going to sit on the side over there, and and that's how. What? Finished eating, you know, the, the, generally how it works is that everyone gets up after that. They were, it was like a, it was like, think of it like they had to walk off during, you know, labor work, which is in the field, to decide to eat. So now when everybody goes and finishes eating, they gotta walk back, everyone walks back as a group. So she thought that was immodest, and she knew it was immodest, that everyone walked back together, everyone's chit-chatting. So she decided she's going back, gonna go back earlier. So she, as soon as she finished eating, she got up from the table and she left. 
By the way, this sort of, uh, you know, this agreement that they had that she was eating at his table and she was back in the fields went on for approximately three and a half months before we see the wedding, uh, uh, you know, the, the marriage ceremony that took place. So this went on for about three and a half months. So as she leaves, Boaz calls a, you know, tea meeting. All his employees over there, he's like, listen. He said, listen, guys, I want it, uh, you know, to make it very easy for Ruth. She's a convert. Yeah, I know we have to be very nice to converts. It's, uh, there's many things that the Torah says, this, but how important you are to uh, that, how, 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 I don't know what the correct word is. Correct, uh, you know, you have to be so polite and good to the converts. So he says, and he goes and he tells him, from now on, I want you to go and sprinkle extra, extra pieces of wheat so that she could go pick up. Which means is that you know the the rule is that if you have three pieces of wheat together, you can't pick it up as a poor person. But if it's three or less, then you're able to go and pick it up. So Boaz said, sprinkle where she goes. So this way she'll be able to pick up more. And it's going to be easier. This is also a, you know you see a, a fascinating thing from here on how uh, you do uh, charity. There's a story brought down. There was once a, a orphan and he was brought in by this this wealthy man and everything was great. Everything was amazing. And you know the orphan guy you know grew up and he got married and he left the house. The, t- the tables turned for the, his, uh, his uh, wealthy father, and he lost all his money. And he goes up over to his orphan. He travels to a different, uh, you know, to a different town to visit his son, the orphan that he that he took in. And he says, "Listen, you know, you know, I need your help. You know, I've helped you all these years, but now the tables have turned on me. Can you please go and help me? Can you please go and, and get me some money?" So the, the son said, "Listen, you know, I wish I could help you, Dad. I, you know, I can't. I, I really wish I could. You know, let me see what I can do, and uh, you know, I'll send you as soon as I get something. I'll definitely send you. I'll definitely, you know, appreciate everything that you've done." The father thanks him, and he goes home. The, the, when he gets home, the second that he gets home, all of a sudden, there's a knock on the door. And uh, there's a guy that's, that's dressed up there. He seems like he's a very big, uh, you know, hurry, a very wealthy guy. And he says, listen, he says, I gotta run out of town. And he says, you know, I have all this, uh, this diamonds. He was known as a diamond dealer. He says, I have all these diamonds. I can't take it with me. I'm willing to send it as, sell it as a very discount price. Um, for you, so at least I'll have the money. It'll be easier for me to travel. So, you know, the father did have some money left over. So he said, fine, you know what? Alright, I'll, uh, you know, it seems like a good deal. So he, he took it and he bought the diamonds. A few hours later, the next day comes by, and all of a sudden there's another knock at the door. And the guy says, listen, he says, I heard you, uh, you, you know, you have some, some merchandise of diamonds. I'm really, I, you know, I'm leaving town. I need a large, uh, you know, you know, amount of diamonds for my, uh, uh, from, you know, for the sales that I need to do as a traveling merchant. So he says, yeah, I happen to have it. And, you know, he says, uh, this is what I have. And he goes and he says, oh, you know, I like this. I like this. And he gives him an exorbitant amount of money. He says, I need it. No, you know, one of those guys, like, I don't want to interrogate. I will, you know, we don't want to deal with those things. This is the price. You know, take it or leave it. And it was a significant amount of profit that he would have made over his, uh, what he bought it for. So he says, fine, you got a deal. He goes, he makes the sale, and he makes a tremendous amount of money. He makes so much money that he, he sends a message to his son. He says, listen, I worked it out. I don't need you anymore. Baruch Hashem, God worked it out that I was able to make some money back, and I'll, and I'll build off this. What he didn't know is the person that arranged everything was his son. His son didn't want him to feel bad that now he's giving him money, and now he feels bad. Okay, fine, I have to accept, you know, accept it from that. So rather, his son said, I can't. And then he went, and he orchestrated this entire thing, so it feels like he did it by himself and had nothing to do with his son. This is how Boaz went to Ruth. He says he knew that, you know, as it is, it's bad enough that she's collecting. She needs more pity for more people giving to her. Says no, no, no. Says I want you guys to go. Drop some more wheat where she's going. So she's thinking she just got to, you know, she just collect in the right place at the right time. This is the way that you're supposed to do chesed. So then this is what, by the way, the highest level of tzedakah is when you're able to go and you're able to start someone else's business. Someone needs money, instead of just going there or give him a business loan or give him, that is one of the highest level of tzedakah. So you're preventing for him, what is it, you know, you teach him how to fish, not to give him fish, whatever the saying goes. Me and my American sayings. All right. So, um, in any case, she goes and she collects a tremendous amount of, uh, you know, of produce. And now she's collecting so much, she's like, you know, it's hard for her to carry back all the way to Naomi. So she decides that um, she's going to go and she's going to 
remove all the, um, you know, the, the taking, she's gonna remove all the, whatever it is that you separated. I forgot the terminology from it. You take the stalk, the stalk and the chaff, whatever it is, and you separate it to the actual kernels of grain. So she did everything over there. Why did she do that? Besides the fact that it was so, it was such a large amount, she also didn't want Naomi. She realized if she brings this whole thing, so what all of a sudden her mother-in-law is gonna come in and be like, okay, let me help you. Let me do some labor with you. And she didn't want that. So I'd rather do it myself outside the house. So I bring her a finished product. So she goes, the day is over, first day is over, she goes and she collects this tremendous amount of grain, she goes and she brings it back uh, to, no, to Naomi. But what, she, what does she tell to, to Naomi? She doesn't say, you know, like, here, I have some food for you. She goes and she says the following, she says, you know, um, I've already eaten, and this is all extra, so why don't you go and, and share with it. One of the reasons that, that, uh, that she did that, and I'll, we'll explain it a little bit from Avraham Avinu. Avraham Avinu, it says when he had visitors, so what did he do? He had three visitors, right, the famous visitors. He took Three baby calves, cows, right? So he took all these, uh, the calves, and he shechted them. And then he put, and he baked loaves for them. And the question is, why does he need, th- he, why so much meat for three people? He says he could have done it with, with one, one cow would have been enough. Why did he need to do it so, with such extravagant, you know, amount? And the answer is that if you go, say you invite somebody to your house, and you have exactly the same amount of food, and that everyone has it, everyone, they feel a little bit guilty eating from, you know, they, they feel like they're sort of taking from you. But if you come home and your, your table is spread, and there's so much stuff in there, the guests don't feel bad. They're like, okay, listen, in fact, I'm doing him a favor, otherwise it's about Tashrit, he's going to go and throw it out. So rather, so what Abraham Avinu did, he said he didn't, he wanted to do chesed on such a high level, that he wanted them not only to eat his food, not only to drink his, to drink his water, but rather to do it and not feel bad. So the same thing, Ruth. Ruth goes, look at, look at the chesed. Look how much chesed is like, you know, going around. Like, if you picture of this, like, a, you know, like a FBI board, you know, with a red string, but everything is just chesed. You see, like, this entire thing is going to be a spider web of chesed, this entire story. So, she goes and she, um, and she gives Naomi food without actually Naomi feeling that she's taking away from, from, uh, from Ruth. So, the, um, she goes and she starts explaining everything that happened, you know, how she got so much. She says, oh, you know, I met Boaz, you know, for the first time, and he was explaining to me the situation, he told me I could go and sit with him, and he's, you know, she was telling on and on and how, you know, uh, amazing day that was. And then, Naomi goes to her and says, you know, maybe, she's, you know, in the chesed, hopefully he'll do yiboom. Yiboom, just to explain what it is, if a, if a, if there is, let's say, uh, um, a man marries a wife, and unfortunately he couldn't have any children, and the man goes and passes away, there is a, there is a halakha of something called yibum. Yibum is where there's the other brother that's still, you know, that, that's, that either available or not even back then, it wouldn't matter, but he would go and he would marry the widow, which is his sister-in-law, and then she would conceive, and sort of that would continue the cycle of the brother, that would keep the memory of the brother alive. So, she goes and she says, Naomi says, maybe Boaz will do Yibum for you. Even though it's not considered Yibum because it wasn't a brother, it was really, uh, it was a cousin. But in the same sense, it's still in the, it's still in the family and it still classifies as, as that type of chesed. But she didn't bring it up again. She knew that it was harvest season. And Boaz was extremely busy in harvest season. For the, so for the next for about three and a half months, it was hush hush about it, we didn't speak about it. And Ruth went on her, her, her regular schedule. She would leave in the morning, she would go out to the fields, she would collect all the grain, and then she would come back at home and, you know, uh, you know, spend the rest of the time with Naomi, and then right, start again in the next day. Now, the, there were many people back in those times that it was a long travel from the house to the fields, and from the house to the fields, back and forth. So rather what they did was, during the harvest season, it was like during their busy, you know, busy season, they would only travel back and forth every once in a while, only to refill the storehouses. But rather they would spend the entire time in the fields, and they would sleep there, <clears throat> they would have special spots over there. And this way it would be just easier instead of shopping back and forth. But Wood didn't want that. He says, what am I going to do? My, my dear mother-in-law is going to sleep at home at night by herself. 
She says, no, I'm not going to have anything of that. So she went and she started traveling back and forth every single night, every single morning, just so that her mother-in-law wouldn't, um, wouldn't uh, you know, be alone. Okay, so now we're coming up to the point of the story where it is, if I may say, very controversial. A lot of questions are brought up on this part of the story, and people don't understand really this part of the story. So we'll try to understand, and we'll try to make it uh, to clarify all the questions that can be asked. And that is this part of the story where um, where Ruth goes to Boaz, and it seems like in a very immodest, compromising fashion. And the question is, how does she do that? And Bazaar Hashem will we'll go and uh, we'll try to clarify everything. So, the um, but just that we are, we're clear from the beginning, from the get-go. The Mefalshim, the commentators, all the commentators say that without a doubt, there's no like, oh, maybe she did something wrong. The following parts that I'm going to tell you, that everything that Naomi and Ruth did was not only completely permitted, but it was actually a righteous act. And then we're going to go and try to uh, try to explain it. So, Ruth, um, Naomi goes over to Ruth and she tells her, listen, so it's been three and a half months. Boaz didn't come and didn't, you know, didn't, you know, initiate any, you know, sort of, you know, talk about possible marriage, even though that during her first visit we spoke about last class, that he did sort of present this situation, will you be open to marriage at a certain given point in time? And she was, yes, but since then he never spoke to her about it. So she says, um, Naomi says, you know, it's time to take actions into our own hands. You know, time to put the, you know, put the pebble to the metal with us. And so she goes and she says, listen, you know, you know, Ruth says, you know, I've thought about it, but to be honest, it says, if I get, if I get married, I'm going to have to, you know, leave you. And I made an oath to you. That wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you sleep, I'll, you know, I'll sleep. I made an oath to you and I have to stay like that. So, she goes, Naomi goes and tells her, he says, not only you're absolved from your oath to me, but rather, and she calls her over here, she calls her, uh, my daughter. And says, rather, I, you know, my daughter, I want you to get married for me. And why did she, why did she specifically say, I'm like going so fast, I want to try to get the whole story, so. Uh, why did she specifically call her her daughter right now? And the reason is, is because, you know, if you have a daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law, you know, the son wasn't able to get married. And, uh, you know, sometimes, sorry, passed away, and didn't have any kids. So when a daughter-in-law goes and gets married, it hurts a little bit the, the mother of the boy, because it's sort of like, okay, you know, she moved on with life, and that's it. The memory of her son ceased to exist. That's the daughter-in-law. But what happens if a daughter, a daughter goes, and a daughter, you know, loses, unfortunately, her husband. The mother wants her to go and continue on her life. She wants her to go and to remarry and, and you know make uh, you know more children and continue continue at least her name. So Naomi doesn't call her daughter-in-law anymore. It says just like a mother wants her daughter to get married, I want you, my daughter-in-law. You're no longer my daughter-in-law. Now you're like my daughter, and I want you to get married also. And hence you're absolved from your oath. Please go, and we're going to try to go and uh, um, set this up. So who says, you know, fine. Tell me what I got to do. She says, I'm going to tell you, but it's a little bit uh, you know unconventional. So she says, all right, go on. So she goes over to her and he says, listen, uh, Naomi goes and says that, you know, Boaz is going to be, you know, sleeping in the, in the, in the fields, in the silos, in the thresh houses. One of the reasons that the, they slept over there is to protect from thieves, from anybody that we would want to, uh, borrow the, um, you know, there are certain people who says, you know, I would never steal. I believe in the Bible. The Bible says you're not allowed to steal. So some people say, you know, like the Bible says you never say you can't borrow, you know. Take a DVD player, you give him a VCR, you know, a player. You know, you just uh, sort of uh, borrow a few things. But he was, you wanted to make sure no one borrowed anything, so he goes and he was, uh, uh, and he slept in the, in the silos. So she says, she goes to Naomi Gosalut and says, listen, you're gonna go to the, to the silos. And he says, don't worry that you're going to be walking there in the night. It's the winnowing, uh, it's the winnowing uh, season, whatever you want to call it, the time. And it was a sight to see. So everybody used to go there and, and come there, and this would happen at night, and it wouldn't look suspicious that she's just walking there at night. And when you go over there, he says, you're going to go, and you're going to sneak in where, when Boaz falls asleep. And when he falls asleep, you're going to go and uncover his feet. Now she tells her, he says, but before you go, you go make sure you go to the mikvah. 
So there's a, there's a conflicting opinions of what's, uh, what was the reason that she went to the mikvah. Either it was because she finished her conversion at this point in time. And that was the, the conversion for the mikvah. Or that some say that she converted already since the beginning, since right when she came in, but rather this was to purify herself, to be, to become pure. Then she goes, no, me says, after you go to the mikvah, you're gonna put on perfume, you're gonna put on jewelry, you're gonna dress up in your Shabbat clothes, and you're gonna go to, to Boaz. So you stop the story right here. Seems like, you know, you know, what, you know, what's going on over here? Like you have over here this, you know, Tanakh in Tanakh over here, seems like a little bit of, uh, you know, doesn't seem like it should be over here. So now, uh, Ruth, First of all, switch, switch something around. Naomi told her that when you're, you know, after you go to mikvah, you get dressed and then you go to the field. She says, why do I need to go get dressed up? Only to go into the field, only to go to, you know, so everybody should see me. Rather, she took all her clothes on the side. She brought it with her dress regular. And then only when she needed to, that's when she, uh, when the final moments, that's when she got dressed up. This shows that, you know, there's a certain woman that when they go out, they dress up fancy. They come home, they take everything off. So it's just the opposite. When you go out, dress regular. When you come home, that's when you're supposed to be dressing up. So she knew what the, what the aspect and what the importance does, and that's why she didn't, he says, what's the point of me dressing up outside? Everybody needs to see me out. That's not, that's not the purpose. So, she goes and she continues, uh, she, she travels to, uh, to Boaz's place. And she is, um, she sees everything, you know, the whole winnowing, and then she sits on the side. While everyone goes home, she sort of goes into hiding. And as she's in, um, she's hiding, she sees Boaz, you know, in his, in, you know, he finds his nook, and, you know, she keeps an eye on him. And as everybody slowly, slowly leaves, Boaz sort of retires to this, um, to, to, to this, uh, to his little nook. And she sees, you know, he takes up some food, some wine he's gonna drink, and he starts learning to walk. He's eating and he's learning to walk. And finally he's, uh, you know, he's, you know, it's, it's late, he's getting very tired. And he goes to sleep. Ruth sees this as an opportunity. She quickly gets up from her hiding spot, you know, gets on the whole uh, gecko, and she runs, and she goes right by Boaz's feet, exactly like Naomi, Naomi told her. And then she goes, and she uncovers her feet. So now let us try to understand what's the whole thing, what's the whole business with the feet over here. So, there is, uh, if somebody does Yibum, what we spoke about before, then they marry the sister-in-law. But let's say the brother says, you know, not my taste, not interested, I don't care about my brother, I don't want to deal with it. He says, let's say you wanted, you, you, you know, you wanted to, uh, he didn't want to go and marry her. So we do a process called Khalid There's a spitting of the shoe and there's a taking off of the shoe. So, the, the question is, is what's the deal with the shoes? Why, why are we taking off the shoe? So there is, the, the idea of the shoe is, is, think about it this way. You have a, a, a soul. Now, the soul, the majority of the soul is in heaven. Your bottom, the bottom part of the soul, sort of like the foot of the soul, the shoe of the soul, is in your body. That's what it represents. The majority is in heaven. And this is, this is why when you're in a holy place, what you do is you take off your shoes. We see this in Moshe Rabbeinu. When he went to the burning bush, in Shemot, chapter 3, verse 5, it says, you know, you're in a holy place, take off your shoes. We see Yeshua also, in Yeshua, chapter 5, verse 15, Yeshua also came to a holy place, he also had to take off his, his shoes. Kohanim, the Betamigdash, before they, they take off, what? I said shoe, no? Oh. <laughs> they, before the Kohanim, when they come into the Bet Mikdash, what do they do? They take off their shoes also. What do we see in the Gemara on Yoma, page 77? Also on Yom Kippur, what do we do? We take off our shoes. Now why are we taking off our shoes? What is the whole thing about holiness and taking off our shoes? Because when we know that the, the, the body is represented like the foot of the soul. The soul is in the foot of the body. I think that's clear. Now, when we're saying we're taking off the shoe, we're saying, forget about the physical part. The, the, the body is the, sh- is the shoe. We're taking off the shoe, but when we get into this, forget about the physical part. Focus on the spiritual part. Now what happens in the spiritual part? That's why the whole, the whole, the whole essence of taking off your shoes. The, so, what you're saying is, is when somebody doesn't want to go and come do the, 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 the mitzvah of Yibum, they're sort of saying, okay, you're forgetting about the soul of your brother. Your brother is gonna live on only, his soul is only gonna live on only through what? Through the, um, through the birth of, of this, uh, union. So, 
That is why we take off the shoe. And over here, Ruth, on behalf of Naomi, said, take off, cover, uncover his feet, sort of as a way to hint to him, hey, are you going to do Yibumu Chalitza? You know, are you going to, you know, this, it was sort of a hint, you know, let's get on with the show, let's get, uh, you know, uh, sort of let's get married. Now, there's a question that's asked, why didn't they just ask it straight out? Why didn't they just say, you know, the whole night and then the whole this and then, you know, the whole, the whole spiel? And the answer that's given is because it, they were embarrassed. They were embarrassed to go and to, um, you know, and to, and, you know, to, to put it out there. So, Boaz is going, he's sleeping, all of a sudden comes midnight. What happens midnight for Tzadikim? For regular people, it's when we hit the REM cycle, right? And that's when we get the, you know, the dreams, we turn over and for another eight hours until, you know, God knows when we wake up. But uh, for the righteous people, comes midnight, they wake up. What do they wake up? Right? Not to check the news and not to check their phones, but rather to go and they start to, you know, besides either crying for the Bet Amigdash, but this is before the Bet Amigdash. This, back then, what they used to do, they would, they would go learn Torah. They would learn Torah in the middle of the night. What do you do? You rest, you sleep a little bit, then you're gonna learn. They're gonna sleep, you know, 10 hours, so you need to sleep. So, he goes, midnight comes, and he wakes up. But he wakes up, you know, he couldn't, you know, he notices there's something at, you know, at his, at his feet, and he gets really scared. He's like, what's bad? He first, his first thought came in was maybe this is a demon. But then he saw, like, sort of a here, a braid. And he's like, he's like, is that a demon? Is that a woman? You know, for some people it's the same. But he says, well, what's going on over here? Is this, a, is this a demon or a woman? So he goes over to her and he says, um, he says, what are you? He says, are you, are you a woman? And Ruth is over there and she's like, you know, you can't like flip on the light switch and, you know, shine your flashlight in your phone, you know, see what's going on over there. So, you know, it was very dark. Says, Who, you know, so it was just by, by verbal communication. So she says, you know, I, I, I'm a woman. So he goes over there and he says, are you married? She says, no, I'm not. Then he goes and he asks, are you ritually pure? And she says, I am. Then he finally asks her, who are you? And she says, I'm your maidservant, Ruth. So then he asks the most obvious question, which probably would have, you know, for most of us come in the beginning, what you doing here? <laughs> yeah, what's going on? Why are you by my feet? Where is my, my, you know, what's going on? So she goes and she says, I want, and listen to the language that she used. She goes and she says, I want you to spread your cloak over me as a sort of a hint to marriage. She didn't even say that, guy. you know, the spreading of the, of the cloak, uh, one of the reasons when, uh, when, a, when a woman gets married, you do the, you take the veal and you, you cover her, sort of like, you know, she's taking. She wanted to ask him to marry her, but she did it in the most sneeze modest way possible. Not, as opposed to, I'll give you an example, you have Yosef. Yosef, when he got his test with Yosef, with, uh, with uh, Eshet Potiphar, and what did she say? She didn't say, you know, let's get married, let's run away. She didn't go like that. She says, no, come and lie with me. Straight to the point. Not interested in anything else. Come and lie to me. As opposed to Ruth, so spread your cloak over me. Look at the difference of what's, uh, of the modesty that was, uh, that was going on. So, the Boaz, right then, he gets up and he says, um, you know, he, he's, he's, he said a few things to her. He said, you know, Buha Atla Hashem, bless are you to God. But what he did for the majority of the time is that he went and he started praying. He prayed for two things. Number one, he prayed that he shouldn't succumb to temptation for, you know, because Ruth is here in the middle of the night, a very beautiful woman. This is the Gadol Adol. This is the, the, the most righteous man. And he says, listen, I'm nervous. And it actually says, the Midrashim actually say, you know, that he had, he had uh, you know, very, very strong temptation. At this point in time, even stronger, it says, than Yosef. Why even stronger than Yosef? Because Yosef, he, you know, it was illegal, you know, even though she went and Eshet Potiphar went and tried to explain to him that it really was legal. The bottom line was illegal. This is my husband's wife. Over here, at this point in time in history, everything was legal. She was a single woman. She was ritually impure. You know, they could have gotten married right then and there. But rather, he says, you know, he says, it's not right. He says, and he went and he started praying to please save me from temptation. We see over here one thing. And if you're overcome by temptation, there's something that you want to do bad. A very, very good option to do is follow Boaz's lead. Start praying. That's number one. Number two, he prayed that nobody should find out about this. 
He says, you know what a chilul Hashem would happen? What happened if people are going to start yapping and yapping and talking and be like, oh, well, you know, we saw coming out of the, you know, silo in the middle of the night. So he says, it's a chilul Hashem. He says, he doesn't want to, he prayed that nobody should see. And this is, by the way, you see <coughs> what, what the level is. You see the Tanakh, sometimes you'll say, okay, listen, you know, they had to put it in here. They couldn't hide the fact because, you know, who knows, you know, maybe somebody saw and they will be like, ah, you know, you sort of missed a little piece over there about that whole boss thing. But we see over here that it, it ends up, no one, no one noticed that, that, uh, the whole thing that happened with Ruth. So this whole thing could have gone on, you know, under the rug. But rather, the Torah tells everything the way that it is. And we see the Torah is one thing that's different from the New Testament, from the Quran, from everything else, is that if there is a fault, even though no one's at fault over here, but if there was at fault, people say, the Torah says straight out, you know, he was at fault, even if it's the leader of the generation. Because the Torah tells it exactly what it is, it's the emet. So, she, um, Abbas goes to her, and he says, you know, I know that you are a, you know, a, a tzadikah, you know, a virtuous, a, a righteous woman. So, she, the, 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 the Mephashim asks on this, they say, you know, it's, she comes in the middle of the night, a seemingly immodest act. You know, and out of all that, not only does Boaz not criticize her, he gives her a compliment. You did good. You know, everything was, you know, like I see you're right here. So what's going on over here? So, the um, Reb Simcha Zisal of Kalm explains like this. He says, you know, you're not judged by a particular act that you did. You're judged by overall your actions. And he gives an example by looking at um, Lavan. Lavan goes, he sees Yaakov Avinu. He goes, he runs, he gives him a big hug, you know, gives him a kiss, starts, you know, give him a hug and start doing a little pat down, you know. So, so and the, the Torah speaks negatively about it. He says, why? He gave him a hug. He says, rather, because we know what Lavan's intentions were. His entire life is all about, you know, fake forgery. He, he was looking for money. That's what he was looking. Why did he give him a kiss? He wanted to try to find some more money. He was giving me a hug. He wanted to find out where the jewels are, where, the, where the, all the money is. That's all he cared about. Yet you see, you know, Rachel, where it says she was jealous of Le'ah, that she had any children. What was the jealousy? The, the Torah doesn't speak about it as a negative way. The jealousy was, was that Rachel is saying, what did I not do right? What, what was wrong with me that I do not have any children? And she does have children. So, the idea is, is that you look at a person's life in general. You know, here, Ruth, you look at the picture in general over here, Ruth was an extremely modest woman. Boaz knows that Ruth was a modest woman. So including this aspect also was considered an act of, of uh, modesty as well. So, the, the, and that's why the Megillah, right afterwards, right after this, right after this part, goes and tells on, on how, uh, how her chesed was and how her kindness was and how, you know, everything that was, um, that, that she did was all in respect for her husband and, and so on and so forth. So, the, um, This is what happens when you use the little stickies and you don't, uh, no. Okay. So now, the, um, the, the question that I want to even present a little bit more clarity is, is all nice and dandy that you wanted to go and, you know, give a hint to Boaz, but why in the middle of the night? Why does it have to be in the middle of the night? It's such a, a compromising situation. So, the, um, the general rule is, that um, Naomi, really, the reason why she wanted to do this is she wanted, Naomi wanted who to show her, her, her seriousness in the matter. She wanted to show how real it was, and it's not just something that, you know, she, she was really true about this. The, um, you know, generally, when, um, you know, Ruth could have married anybody. She could have gone and married anybody. Boaz, according to the most majority opinion, he was 80 years old. She was 40 years old. She needed, she didn't need to go and marry her, but to marry him. But rather, what was the reason that she wanted to marry Boaz? Was because of the fact 
then now she, now it's going to look like uh, that it's continuation of her of her late husband's uh, name. Machlon, he passed away, and this is how you continue the name. So she was doing a more of an of a selfless act. So she did it, and she she wanted to know how how serious it was that she went in all the night. Because usually, what's the general way that women like to be? They don't like to be. They don't like to chase a guy. They like that the guy chases them. They don't like to go. They like to be wooed, and that's why it's very important that a husband always constantly goes and shows how important his wife is in his in his own eyes, and not to you know have his wife go and bring it up and be like. You know, give like hints and be like, you know, show me how important I am. So that's what the way that a woman likes to, to be. Over here, Ruth was compromising all of that. She wasn't going and waiting to Boaz to come to her. Rather, she was going to him to show you the seriousness of it and the, and and her 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 um, the sincerity of it was just for the mitzvah, just to continue her name of the late of the late husband. And that's why specifically it was done at night. So Boaz goes. This is the you know we're continuing with the story over here. And Boaz goes and he says. And he says, listen, you know, it sounds really good, but, uh, you know, I'm not the next in line to do Yibum. Yibum has to go with the closest relative. I'm not the closest relative. We know that uh, Nachshon had four, four men, four boys. And so one of them was, you know, Naomi's father. The other one was Elimelech, who Naomi married. And then she also had a brother, that was, uh, he had a brother still alive by the name of Tov. Tov is not mentioned in the Megillah, rather it's known as Ploni Almoni, anonymous. But he, he you know, that was Tov. So comes Boaz and he says, listen, I, you know, we could definitely, you know, work it out for you, but I'm not the one in line. You gotta, we gotta first present the situation to, uh, to Tov, cause he's the one who's next in line. So, she says, okay, they finish this conversation, it was the middle of the night, so what, you know, she gets up and she's gonna go leave. So Bob says, you know, where are you going? Says, you know, oh, we're done, okay, I'm just, I'm gonna go out. He says, you know, it's the middle of the night. You know, it's not the middle of the night over here where you just call an Uber from your phone and, you know, pick you up and I'll take you directly home. It's the middle of the night over there where there was no, you know, there was no lights. There was nothing. It was extremely dangerous, not only from the human side, but also from the Mazakim side, from the demon side. So he says, it's not safe for you to go out. He says, rather stay over here until the morning. And we're going to go in the early in the morning and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll go out. So, he says, fine. They wait up till right away to like in the mash in the early morning hours, and um, they get ready to go. And Boaz tells her, he says, listen, it's, you know, it's people are going to start talking if they see me walk out with a woman so early. Rather, she said, he said, pretend to be a man. And, you know, she's, she's played this game before. She knows the, the situation. So she says, fine. And, you know, generally how women would carry things is they would put, like, they had a, she had a sack. They put the sack on their heads in order to carry it. She says, instead of carrying it like that, carry it with your, you know, by your hands in, in the way, in the fashion of the man. And she says, you know, try to imitate the mannerism of a man so it appears to be, uh, you know, a man. And then Boaz goes and he gives her six grains. Six grains he gives her. This is in, uh, um, this is in, in a, um, I don't want to call it a symbolism. It's a symbolism that there's going to be six righteous people that come out from her. Um, and you remember, this whole time is a series of prophets. This prophecy was very, very prevalent during this time. So, those six, these uh, six uh, grains represent the, th- the six people as follows. It was David, which is going to be, her, you know, her descendant. Chizkiyahu, that's two. Yoshiyahu, that's three. There we go. And then you have Hanan, Mishal, and Azai are all one. Why are they considered one? Because they are all part of the same bracha. No, yeah. And then you have Daniel, and then you have Mashiach. That's how the middle she brings down. These are those uh, the six that it represents in this, uh, um, from the six grains. I didn't write the Medrash, I don't know. But, <laughs> um, it's, uh, that's what it brings down. So, the, um, if you look, you look at the Ruth Rabbah, you also look in Sanhedrin. You can also look it up in 93b. In any case, okay. So, they go out, and, you know, it went fine. You know, unsmooth, no one saw her. They go, and, and she goes home to Naomi. 
So Naomi is expecting, you know, she just sends her in like, you know, this mission impossible. And all of a sudden, you know, she walks in, she's like, you know, so, you know, like, we got a ring on the finger, you know, like, what's going on? Um, and, uh, it didn't happen like that, but, uh, sort of. So she goes and she says, uh, she tells, you know, she tells her the whole story, she says, this is what Boaz says, but we first gotta go to the top, yada, yada, she gives her the whole story. You know, by this time it's daylight. And, uh, so Naomi says, fine. And then, uh, you know, and then she sees Ruth, uh, you know, going out the door. She says, uh, you know, Ruth, where are you going? So she says, you know, it's daylight. I'm gonna go, uh, back to the fields to pick up some grain. So you kidding me? What do you mean you're going back to the fields? Says you're practically a married woman. Says you know over here, Boaz said he's gonna take care of it. Says you're not uh, in the field anymore. You're gonna wait, wait until, you know, by, by today it's not, it's, you know, something's gonna be taken care of. Rather, let us go to the Sanhedrin. Let us go to the center because something's going to happen today. So. They go, and uh, Naomi and Ruth get up, and they walk towards, uh, you know, to, to where the Sanhedrin convened. And Boaz also walked over, you know, the, for one of the first things that he did, he went right into the Sanhedrin. And he told them, he, he figured, you know, you have to play very smart on this, because this is a Moabite woman. And even though they made the decision, even before Ruth already came into the whole picture, that a woman from Moab is allowed to intermarry, is allowed to get married if she converts. So, the majority of people, you know, it's going to be like, you know, alright, you know, he saw her. He orchestrated this entire thing, and that's why he got married, and that's why this whole thing went out. So what he did was, he went, Boaz went, and he called ten chachamim, ten sages, ten big, big sages. Called them, no relation to. He has no relation to them, and he, um, and now he has to work on the whole uh, scenario, because now Tov, the, the, um, the uncle, is, is up in line first. So, miraculously, or coincidentally, or which is none of them, because everything is, is directly from God, Tov just happens to be walking past the sunny thing. And boss, you know, after he sets everything up, boss says, perfect. You know, we need to talk right away, instant. Um, so he says, we have urgent matters to discuss, my dear uncle. So Tov goes in and says, well, you know, what's so urgent? I didn't hear, I didn't hear anything. So, and, um, so Tov, which is also known as Plony Almoni, the anonymous one, he goes in and he says, um, you know, he goes into the, to the thing and he sees like a whole like betting like set up, like ten sages and he's like, he's like, what's going on over here? He says, I wasn't notified anything. I just happened to be walking in the area. What's going on? So he says, uh, this is all about Elimelech's estate. So, Boaz, so, I mean, Tov goes, says, what do you mean? What's going on? So, Boaz says, he says, you know, that, um, Elimelech had a, you know, estate, and they went over, you know, he passed away, and now his wife has, you know, the, the, you know, the hands on the, on the deed. And the way that it worked back then is, is that everybody had their, uh, you know, their own parts in El Israel. You know, the El Israel was set up by tribes. So every tribe had its own section in El Israel. Now what happens if somebody was poor, and because of insufficient funds, they need to sell the field? So the halakha was, is that the first person that should go and buy the field, which is a big mitzvah, is somebody in the family. So this way you keep the property in the family, and it stays in the family. So Naomi didn't have any money. She wanted to go sell the field. So who was the first? So Tov was the first in line. He says, listen, you're the first in line. He says, uh, you know, we want to make the sale, if you are in agreement. So, so that it could remain in the family. So he says, alright, you know, what's it gonna cost me? So, you know, they work out the details, per acre, per square footage, you know, whatever the, the, you know, the real estate terminology was going on back then. And he says, this is the, this is the, you know, this is the price. Tov says, you know, that's a fair price. Alright, fine, I'll buy it. And, you know, as he's going to, you know, finish up the contract, the, you know, boss says, oh, this is one, there's one more clause that we didn't, uh, add in. He says, what's that? He says, we have your root. He says, what about her? He says, uh, she need to come share, you know, she could, uh, if she needs a place to stay, she could stay in my house, but no, without any problem. And he says, so Boaz says, no, no, no. He says, just like the midata achamim, the, the, um, the side of mercy requires or is preferred that you buy land from the family, so too the same midata din also 
you know, would, would, would uh, benefit that you would go and marry her as, um, you know, to, to continue the memory of her late husband, Machlon. So this is the part where Tov is like, it's like, whoa, 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 you know, back it up a little bit. He says, he says, I never agreed to that. And then he says, and, you know, and then he's thinking back and forth. He says, listen, that's a serious thing. So he's married. He has kids. He says, he's going to go take another wife now. He says, not only that, am I taking another wife if she's from Moab? And from when he was saying this, you know, one of the Bezdin, you know, stood up and he says, he says, had you been more involved in hearing the court's decisions, you would know that a woman from Moab is not even a problem. You know, so as if to say that's not even an issue. And then he goes and he says, and he says, he's thinking back and forth. And he's like, uh, you know, he's like, what if I don't want to, what if I just want the property? He's like, no, no, no it's a package deal. So he's like nervous. He says, listen, it's a serious thing, getting married because of that, continuing the name, I, you know, I don't know. So Boaz said, listen, he says, if you're not interested, step aside, and the next in line will, uh, will take, will take your, your thing, your, 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 sta- your, your spot. So he says, so, you know, Tov is like, aren't you, uh, the next in line? He says, I am. He says, and you're willing to marry her? He says, I'll do whatever it takes. He says, if this is what, what, uh, you know, is gonna be able to continue the name of my deceased cousin, then yes, I will marry her. And so Tov is thinking, he says, listen, he says, you know, you're ahead of Sanhedrin, you're a big tzaddik, people are not gonna talk if you do this. If I do it, you know, people are gonna talk. And he goes and says, you know, you probably have the right kavanot, the right things. Says, you know, better that you do it and not me. So, boss says, fine. He says, and then they have to do the process called Khalipin. Khalipin is a process <coughs> where they, uh, in, they transfer the rights over. The way they transfer the right over, back then they did it with a shoe. So they took the shoe, boss took off his shoe, and he gave it to, um, Tov, and he says, take this, you know, with this, uh, transfer of this object, I'm acquiring all your rights to the state of Naomi and Ruth. And as well as the rights of Yibum with Ruth. So Tov, you know, Tov took the shoe and he says, you have my blessing. And um, now Boaz turned over to Sanhedrin. First of all, he made the, you know, he, he said, he says, you know, I noticed while coming in here, I saw Naomi and Ruth in the crowd. He says, there's Naomi here, please come forward. And Naomi was there, so she comes forward. And right over there, they signed up the contract. He says, he bought, her for the, he bought from her the field and he gave her the, the, the amount of money. But then he goes and he says, and uh, if Ruth can come out. And he goes, Rutka walks out, and he says, you know, I'm coming here to ask you to be betrothed for me for the purpose of marriage. Do you accept? You know, he didn't get down on one knee and be like, you mean everything to me. You know, you're my life. And I'm sure that he, she did. But he goes and he says, you know, do you accept? And she says, you know, with a glowing face and smiling, this is what she really wanted. And she says, I do accept. And they went and this, and Boaz goes and he says, in front of the Sanhedrin, I want everybody to realize this. That I'm doing this in front of all the Sanhedrin on purpose to show that this is 100% halakhically allowed. And they went and they got married. They got married that, they didn't do six months of planning for the, for the thing. They went and they got, they got married in front of, of those, um, in front of the ten, uh, the ten, the ten, uh, the, uh, Bezdin. Now, the, you know, you would think right afterwards, people will be like, you know, you heard what the Moaz did, but rather everybody, everybody in the area all gave blessings. All gave blessing to show that it was 100% allahically okay and there was no issue that was with, uh, uh, with this situation. So, Boaz goes, they get married, and life is amazing for one day. Unfortunately, Boaz was not around for so long to actually appreciate the marriage because he passed away, uh, you know, the, you know, the day after the, the, they were married for a, a completion of a total of just one day. And Boaz, the, the Chafetz Chaim learns from this and he says, you know, you look at it and you see that if he would have pushed it off, you realize the second that he had this opportunity, he waited that, he did it that day. He didn't wait, okay, it'll work it out, I'll get to Tov, I'm busy now with the field. He, an opportunity came to him, he took care of it that day. And if he wouldn't, then he would have missed it. 
He would have missed it. He would have lost everything. We would have lost everything. We know from that union, of that one night that they were married, that's when, that's where Ruth became pregnant. Ruth became pregnant. And of course, this is where people started, yeah, you know, chitter-chattering and saying, oh, you know, how could it be? It must be from somebody else. And that's why God made it specifically that nine months to the day of their marriage, that's when the baby was born. So there's no, uh, um, nobody could start, uh, you know, talking and saying anything. This baby was born, this baby was born um, completely circ- circumcised, just like Moshe Rabbeinu, and the, they named the baby Ovid. They named the, the baby Ovid. Now, no, uh, it says that Naomi, it's, it says that the, 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 if you look at the Megillah, it says a son was born to Naomi. It, says it wasn't born to Naomi, it was born to Ruth. Why did it say specifically to Naomi? For two reasons. Number one, is that after Boaz died, which is right after the marriage, she, Naomi went and she stepped in. She stepped in once again and she took care, you know, when, when Ruth gave birth, she took care of the baby. And from here we learn something, that if you take care of someone else's child, aka nowadays adoption, it's considered as if it was born to you. That's why it says a son was born to Naomi because she took care of the child. Additionally, because of her intervention, she was the shatran, if you may, of this. It was also in her merit that they were born. And that's why also because of, because even Chazal say, even if you're, if it's, in, you know, by accident that you set two people up and they get married, you still get the reward for it. And you still get, you know, so this why, this is why it's also, it's considered as if the son was born to, uh, to Naomi. Now, Ovid grew up a complete Extremely, extremely righteous man. And he had a son named Yishai. Yishai was one of the most righteous people ever lived. Never, never sinned. And Yishai was, you know, he grew up and he had, you know, he had a child and he had a child, David. That's David Amelech. And that will later become, you know, the David of, uh, of David Amelech and David of the, you know, that, uh, that we have of the Tehilim and, you know, the, the, basically, basically the entire tefillah that we have is because of him. So now let's speak a little bit for the time that we have remaining, on what's going, like, why are we reading Ruth? What are the amazing lessons that you can learn from Ruth? So, you know, one, uh, you know, we know Avram Avinu was what? He's known as the father of Judaism. Not because he invented it, not because, you know, he was the, but, but this for a very, very particular reason. And that's because his life was dedicated to chesed. We know that he, he was all about chesed. He was all about kindness. And the Gemara tells us there was a certain uh, you know, group of people called the Givonim. And there was an entire community of people that converted. And their, their conversion was a little bit you know, questionable. And David Amalek, he went and he looked into it. And he decided that they are considered 100% Gentiles. The conversion is not good. Where did he base this off? He went and he looked into them. And he saw that they were very cruel people. They did not have chesed. They did not have kindness to them. It says, if you are part of the Jewish nation, you have kindness. You have chesed. And if you do not have chesed, check your lineage. Because you, there, must, there must be an issue over here. So the same thing. So over here, over here, the essence of the Jew is kindness. The essence of, of, uh, of the story of Ruth is kindness. Now we look... And we say, you know, the, the, why would we read Ruth on Shavuot? So, few, I'm gonna give you, I'll go through a few answers. Number one is the, back then, the Torah, in the Torah center, when Eli Melech was in Israel, was only in Israel. Like now, you have Torah all over the world. We have, you know, Yeshivot, there's a few big, you know, New York is huge, California is very big, you have France, unfortunately, is all very big right now, but it's moving out. Israel is very big, you have, you have a bunch of Torah centers everywhere. So if you move from one place to another place, you're able to learn, you're able to, you know, to create a Jewish life. But over there, by the time of the, of when the famine, it was only Eretz Israel and Eli Melech and Machlon and Kilim. They all left, and what happened to them? They all perished. They all died. Why? Because you cannot leave a place that there's Torah. You cannot go live in a place that there's not Torah. And this is one lesson we got the Torah in Shavuot. It says you want to get the Torah, you have to be in a place that there is a Torah. You can't go and start uh, traveling to places that there's no there's no Torah. So, the additionally the 
the essence of Megillat Ruth, the really big foundation of it, is all about chesed. The chesed from Ruth to Naomi. The chesed from Boaz to, to, to Ruth. It's like a cycle of chesed. You see over here, we bring, we read this specifically on Shavuot to show you the importance of chesed, the fundamental of chesed, and we're soon gonna see how chesed is the entire, is an entire Torah as, as well. The, um, we, you know, Elimelech, for example, he lost everything, what? Because he didn't want to do chesed. He wanted to go, and he wanted to leave, he wanted, he didn't want to give tzedakah, he didn't want to give the charity. And even though, by the way, even though, I don't even think we mentioned this, but even though, it just came to my mind, that Elimelech had good intentions for leaving. You know why he left? He was very wealthy, there was a big famine. Why did he leave? He said, listen, the whole point of me being over here, of, of God sending, I'm sorry, the famine, is that everyone should wake up, and everyone should do tshuva, and everyone should do the right thing that they're supposed to do. But if I'm going to go in and give them food, and I'm going to go and give them money, they're not going to get the point. So rather, let me leave. Out of the good intentions of his heart, let me leave. And this way, I will go and, and they'll do tshuva, and they'll, the, the whole point of the famine will be resolved, and then, you know, the famine will be over. Out of good intentions. But what? He still got punished. We see this also by Boaz. Boaz, he had, you know, a certain situation with Manoach. You know, with the guy that he didn't invite him to the, to, you know, to all his parties. He had, he, boss had a hundred, sixty, what he had? He had sixty children, thirty boys and thirty girls, all died. The only person that survived was Ovid. So he said, why did all, they all die? Because of the fact that he went and he didn't invite one of his close friends. Why didn't he invite his close friends to the parties? Because he wanted him that this way he'll daven even more. He'll pray even harder. But yeah, we see over here that when you go against uh, you know, the, the, what you need to do is take care of whatever it is supposed to be. Don't start working God's, uh, you know, action and making them pray. You're supposed to do what you're supposed to be, you're supposed to do. Now, Elimelech, he lost everything. He didn't want to do, he didn't want to do chesed. Ruth, she did chesed to Naomi, to and she gained everything. She went from, from the bottom, she went all the way to the top. The Gemara says that the Torah starts and ends off the Gemara Sotah, right? Page 14a, it says like this. The, the Torah starts and ends with chesed. It started with how Hashem clothed Adam and Chava. He gave them clothing as a part of a chesed. And it ends off the Torah with Hashem buried Moshe Rabbeinu. Hashem buried him as an act of kindness. We know the ultimate kindness is what? Is the kindness to the dead. Chesed Shalemes it's called. Rabbi Yocham Levavit goes and explains like this. And he says, let's say you go to a speech. You space out through the entire speech. But you heard the beginning and you heard the end. And you realize that, you know, what he spoke about at the beginning and he spoke about the end, it's the, you know, the same, uh, you know, it's whatever the topic is. So he says, the, if you look at something and you want to know what's the essence of something, you look at the beginning of it, you look at the end of it. If they correlate, you realize that's the whole theme of the entire, of the entire thing, of the entire story, the entire situation, the entire speech, the entire book. Right? There's some people, if they want to read a book, they read the, especially if you're in school and you have to do like a paper on a book. So what do you do? You read the first chapter, you read the last chapter, and you figure out more or less what goes on in the middle. So, the, you look at the first, the first part of the Torah starts with chesed. Look at the end of the part, starts with chesed. Must mean that the entire essence of Torah is chesed. And we know, what is the highest level of chesed possible? Is the chesed of spirituality. Saving somebody spiritually. Giving somebody money, very good, it's amazing, it's great. But if you save someone spiritually, you save someone in this world, you're saving them for an X amount of time, X amount of years, from troubles and tribulations, a tremendous amount of chesed. But if you save someone for the next world, you save someone, you make help someone do tshuva, you help someone bring them to the right path, that is complete, that is the highest level of chesed. That is you're bringing him to the next world. And that is why we have, when the Torah goes, and, and uh, there was a, a Gentile that came over to Bet Shammai. And he says, I want you to convert me if I stand on, as long as I stand on one foot. Shammai went and chased him out. He's like, oh, yeah, here, are you kidding me? And he will, goes over to, to, uh, to Hillel. And he says, I want you to convert me on the condition that I stand on one foot. You know what Hillel told him? He says, that which you do not want done to you, do not do unto, do not do unto others. The rest is commentary. Go and learn. What did he say? That That's the deal of chesed. He says, whatever you want done to yourself, the ultimate chesed is that you want to have, as long as you obviously have a healthy self, you know, look, if you want to commit suicide, that, you know, that's obviously not 
Uh, you should not do that to other people because that's why. But but as long as you have a healthy self-esteem and you you look at yourself in a healthy way, you want people to treat you good, and you want to be you know you want to be treated a certain way, and you don't want to be treated in a bad way. The same way is that how you're supposed to treat other people. That is the essence of Torah. That is the essence of of uh, of Chesed. Ruth also there was two main parts over here by Ruth. Number one was her modesty, unparalleled uh, modesty. Number two is her humility. She was always humble. She comes from, you know, Ruth comes from, from, from royalty. And she went down, she would, she, you know, she didn't bother her to go and collect, uh, you know, for, for her mother. Uh, so, we know that Har Sinai was chosen. The mountain which the Torah was given was chosen because of humility. It says, you want to get the Torah and Shavuot? Learn the lessons from Ruth. Learn the lessons from Ruth. Learn the lessons from the, from, you know, from the holy mother of, of, of King David. That is what? That if you want the Torah, if you want it, you need humility and you need, you need honesty. And that's why Sinai was a very small, a very small mountain. It was very humble. And that's why the Torah was given, um, because, uh, on that. We'll finish off with one last thought. And that is that, you know, you look at, you know, the story of Ruth. And, you know, it's, it's a very, very difficult story in the beginning. She comes from a royalty. She comes from this, you know, high line of the Moab, you know, kings. And she goes and she marries a Jewish guy. And because of that, her life turns upside down. And she loses all the money. And she loses eventually her husband. And she loses, you know, her, you know, her, she separates from her sister. And she goes to a foreign country. And then she's not even treated, you know, she's going and she's collecting for food. Things are not going well for her. And in fact, the Megillah, the, actually the Gemara says, you know, Megillah Ruth is the first, first Sefer in Ketuvim. And the question is asked, Eov was really done, was really chronologically before Ruth. We know Eov was the time of Moshe Rabbeinu. And some accredited that Moshe Rabbeinu actually wrote Eov. So, why is it that Ruth is first? It should be first Eov, and then Ruth. Says the Gemara, it says that the Torah did not want to deal to Eov as a book of suffering. It's a book of punishments. And it says, you know, the story of Eov is very, very much, it says the Torah wanted to start off with a good, you know, a good, uh, you know, start, start off with the story of Ruth. But, uh, you know, we, we know if you read the book of Eov, Eov finishes off on top. He gets everything back. He gets his money. He gets, you know, he gets his, his, his power back. So it says, you know, Ruth has also a very tough beginning. And she also ends off good. So what's the difference in Ruth and Eov? Says the, the, um, says the Nachal Yosef, he answers like this and he says that, you know, the reason why Ruth became what she became was because of what she went through. Everything she went through made her become what she became, which is the mother of the Davidic dynasty. And, you know, you think of it like this. A, fam, a farmer goes and he plants seeds. He's losing a seed every time he puts it in the ground. But is he mourning over the seed? He says, no, I'm going to get so much more greater out of it. So the same thing that, you know, the story of Ruth, it had some difficult parts in it. It did. It had some difficult parts for it, especially for Ruth. It had a very difficult part for it. But at the end, you see it's planting the seed for her to become what she became. And she had to go through everything like that to become what she became, to get the schut. We know, you know that, that she was originally not able to have any children. The only person that she would be able to have children with was only with Boaz. Because of everything that she did, because of the chesed that she did, and the blessing that she got from the Omi, and the blessing that Boaz got received also, they were only able to have it. It was only able to happen this way. It wasn't like it could have happened any other way. It only was able to happen this way. And how did this all have to happen? Only because Ruth went through her, her difficult parts in her life. The Megillah, if you look at it, it's something fascinating. The, almost the entire Megillah Ruth, all, all the verses begin with the letter Vav. Except, I think, for eight. So, 85 verses begin with Vav, except for eight. Eight don't begin Vav. What's Vav? Vav is word and. If you want to do a continuation of a sentence, or otherwise known for the grammar professionals, a run-on sentence, where it just keeps on going, 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 you just like, and, 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 and it just keeps on going. So the, the Megillah wants to tell you that 
the this entire story of Lut is one is one big story. It's not like parts of it. This is bad. This is sad. This is sad. Oh, and here's here's a good part. You know, this is where the twist comes in. It was all one continuation that we only were able to come to the good only because we went through that ad, only because we went through that. And this is such a lesson to learn in life. You know, there's many things in life that you know. Unfortunately, everybody has to go through tough things in life. Very very difficult things in life. And in fact, some things we don't understand. God, I don't know what you want from me. Why? Why did I have to go through this? The question is asked again and again numerous times in a person's life. It says, why? And not only that, I'd be like, okay, God, you want me to fix. I get it. But what? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to know? There's, there's, there's unfortunately tragedies upon tragedies that happen to people, especially in this day and age. Does it, there's not a day in that you don't open up the paper, you don't open up, you read the news, and what tragedy hits another, another family, and another one, and then another one, from a diff- all different angles. So what, God? What do you want from us? We, we don't know what's going on. All we need to learn is learn the lessons from Ruth. Ruth could have asked the same thing. What's going on? You know, I'm coming here, I'm doing this, I'm going over here, nothing's going my way. But what did Ruth do? Ruth did one thing consistently. And that was, I'm going to do what I need to do. And she went, and she saw some hints from God, and says, okay, listen, you know, you know, Elimelech, um, they, God sent them a hint. Didn't get it. He perished. Machlon and Kilion, God sent them hints also. They didn't get it. They perished. Naomi says, I got the hints. I'm going back to Israel. I'm going back to my homeland. And she goes back. She picked up on the hints. And the bad things we have to realize, the bad things that happen in life is little hints. God is telling you hints. Wake up. Don't be one of those people that bad things happen, unfortunately, and people don't realize. People don't realize it. People don't realize it. And then, you know the saying goes, when it rains, it pours. All of a sudden, more bad things happen. So you got to wake up early. If you wake up early, then you don't, God doesn't need to send you more hints. God doesn't need to do it. All you have to do is follow the lessons of Ruth. Is that no matter what happens, you do what you're supposed to do, and at the end, everything's going to be alright. Not everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to turn out excellent. And this is the lesson that we learn from Ruth. We learn from Ruth that this is, this is so empirical, that not only for Torah, not only that we read it on Shavuot, but how we live our daily life. This is a way that if we, if we live the way of a life of Ruth, that even through some hardships, that we can doing, keep doing what we're supposed to be doing, says we're going to end up at the top. The mother of the Davidic dynasty. The mother of Mashiach. That is a, you can't get any, you, what can you possibly ask for more? It says literally, and, and not only that, do you want to know something amazing? It says that she lived, she lived a very long time. I tried to find the, the actual number, it doesn't say. But she lived and she saw David. She saw David ascend the throne. Not only did she see David, she also saw Shlomo. She also lived until Shlomo Amelech. She was able to see her great, 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 whatever it was, how much of her greats you're going back of their great grandson sitting on the throne building the Bet HaMikdash. Because she did what she was supposed to do. And may we all eternalize this lesson. May we all actually, you know, bring this to heart and learn it. It's not just a story. It's a short, short story. Look at it, four pakim. But it's filled with a wealth of information, a wealth of lessons that you learn for daily life. Make sure that we really, we, we internalize this. We wait, we get this wake up call. We see what this Migilah, this amazing Migilah actually, is actually telling us. And we actually learn. And Bezat Tatsam, this Shabbat, may we eternalize this message and we actually grow. Any questions? No questions. No questions means good. That means it's clear. Until afterwards, we're going to stop and then we're going to ask questions. The, the, the Tamal, if you realize Tamal and Ruth, they share the same, the same letters. They share, Tamal starts with a Taf, ends with a Resh. Ruth starts with a Resh, ends with a Taf. Um, they share the same letters because the story is very similar. And the question is, the Zohar brings down is what's the similarity for it? I can't, yeah, this is amazing. So, so, the, 
what happened is, is that, is that the Zohar explains that the evil inclination, you know, when you're doing something big, the evil inclination tries to stop it. So the Zohar says that the only way this was able to happen, if you realize Tamar was the father of, you know, end up coming from, from Pelets, which was really the, you know, the kingship of Yehuda came from, from that union. And Ruhut came as David Amalek. Now, the only way that that would have been able to go out is if the Satan wouldn't interfere. So the, so God made it in a certain way that it looks like it's doing a sin. It looks like it's going from the bad side. So Satan says, this? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll support this. But there's even more another reason for that. And that is because, um, the, the fact that when a person does something, they sort of, you know, it's something good, they take sort of credit for it. They're like, hey, you know, listen, you know, it's pretty good, I did a pretty good job. But if it comes through a certain sin, you're, you're, you know, you feel humble. You really feel humble about it. You're not proud about it. You feel very, very humble with it. So there's, when someone takes away their pride, there is no way that they will be able to, you know, that, that the Satan can use that. The Satan cannot attach itself there it because it's, it's an act done of humility. And there's a story that's brought down from the Vilnagon. The Vilnagon, he goes and, uh, he was brought in by Rechaim Velazhan. He came up with a great idea with the Yeshiva. The Yeshiva Velazhan, he came up with a great idea and he was so excited. And he told the Vilnagon about this amazing idea. And the Vilnagon is like, um, you know, didn't say anything. And so, you know, the rabbi didn't say anything, you know. Nowadays, you find another rabbi, and say whatever. But back then, you know, he was very, you know, that was my rabbi, you know, this what, so he didn't say anything. And he goes, and he comes by a short while later, and says, you know, to, the, to his rabbi, with the and says, you know, about the story with the yeshiva, you know, I'm thinking about opening it up, what do you think about it? He says, excellent idea, go for it. So, he says, you know, rabbi, what's going on? He says, I came to you a few months ago, and you were not excited about it, you know, I was so excited about it, you didn't say anything. All of a sudden, now, he said, go for it. And Villagon says, you know, when, when you came to me so excited, you had all these ideas, these plans, you were like, this is what I'm going to do, it's going to be great. You had all this, you know, pride that was going on. It says, you know, it's not going to, you know, it's not good to start off something like that. You want to start something for God, something for Chesed, with humility. It says, now that you're coming, you're coming with more of a, you know, as a, as a, you know, I'm doing this for God, I'm doing this, that now, now they're going to have blessing with it. So, so to the story of Wut, the story of Tamal, they have, they were sort of, you know, brought in a way that, that doesn't make anyone want to brag about it. It's something that was more, brought the humility out. And if it brought the humility out, this is where the, the Satan cannot touch it. And this is God said, you know, we're coming with the kingship of Yehuda, we're coming the, the, the Davidic dynasty, we don't want the Satan involved. And that's why specifically explains the Zohar that it was done this way. Okay. So. If you want to do some more learning on this, there, I would recommend, first of all, to go and read, pick up an English book of Wut, any art school, you open it up, four chapters, read through it, you'll gain a lot, it doesn't take that long. Uh, if you want to do even more information of it, I'll give you um, three books in English that I used, it's actually uh, four, but I don't have the, the fourth one, is number one, uh, always a great source, is first of all, the Mam Laws. The Mam Law is like an anthology of Musa. So it, it, this is on Kalkei Avot, but it looks sort of something like this. It's in English, it's it's easy to read, it's it's really good. Another thing, you go pick up a book by Rabbi Yosef Deutsch. He is uh, phenomenal, he does a great job on any book that I picked up from him, any settle that I may pick up in the Midrashim, he does a really great job, I'm a really big fan of his, and I really like to use his, his stuff as the first line of defense. And uh, the, on the route, it's called Let Me Join Your Nation. I feel like we're doing a book review. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent source. Additionally, you want to do even, even more uh, reading, which this is uh, also good, Rabbi Huda Steinberg. He wrote a book called Harvest of Kindness on Megillat Ruth. This is why I liked specifically about this one is that he goes on and he gives you lessons that you can learn from it. And additionally, what also was used was a book by Mayor Lambersky, if I'm pronouncing it right, called Under Your Wings. Also, this is a little bit more concise. Uh, so it also, it not only has a story of Ruth, but it also has a story of Matan Torah as well. So you get a twofer over here for this one. Um, when you buy it, you know, send it, say I 
sent you. I got a cut. No, I'm just kidding. I got anything. Don't say I sent you. Go buy it. Enjoy it. You can learn really a lot from it. And You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.